the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Pete Paquette, remember that name. He's our engineer. He gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska does the producing. I'm happy to welcome Joe Jackson, a former NFL player, author of Championship Sunday, An Uncommon Pursuit of a Dream. Joe, uh, welcome to Orlando. Although I understand that you uh, know our community, we're glad to have you. Hey, Pat, good to, good to meet you. I need to be interviewing you. What an incredible resume you've had, brother. And uh, I'm so glad to talk to you, honored to talk to you this uh, this morning. Joe, tell me about the, your book and how it came about. Well, basically, it's my journey uh, starting in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I, I traced my early, um, I guess, steps there and um, through college. New Mexico State University, and then, of course, on to the NFL, and then post-NFL in terms of my ministry and uh, how how I got involved as an evangelist, how I became an evangelist. Never really thought I would ever do anything like this. As a matter of fact, I would run from something, even I interviewed, talking to you, because I had such a, a fear of public speaking, and, and I think that really impacted my life in, in terms of... Um, you know, perhaps doing more in life, and I uh, struggled with that a poor self-image, even though I, I shouldn't, because I got a lot of affirmation from my parents, you know, that I was special, that they loved me, but yet I struggled with that. I gleaned in terms of my peers. I wanted to be accepted, wanted to be loved, wanted to be thought of somebody special in my in the eyes of my peers, which I think a lot of young people run into that. How did you become an evangelist, Joe? What happened? Oh, well, you know, in 1980, I retired from the NFL. And basically, I got involved uh, with a promotion company called Rainbow Productions in St. Paul, Minnesota. And what they do is promote gospel concerts. A teammate of mine, Wally Hilgenberg, introduced me to the owner of Rainbow Productions because I did love to sing, and I would sing during training camp and in the locker room and so forth. So Wally said, you need to hear this guy sing, blah, blah, blah. I got a connection with Rainbow Production. They introduced me to Bill Gaither. Mm. And I got to do some work with the Bill Gaither Trio. My first concert was with the Bill Gaither Trio. And uh, I got to sing a song called The Blood Will Never Lose His Power. So that was something that was already in me, music, love music. 
but never really had the confidence or the connections to um, pursue it. So basically, it was through a, a seemed like a chance meeting with the promoter of Rainbow Productions, and that started me on a new road. And I thank God, and I'm so grateful to all the connections that God has placed in my life. And uh, so that's basically how I got involved uh, as an evangelist through music. Joe, if the Lord would have told me told me to start preaching, then I would have ran from that as far as I could. Joe Jackson, our guest. What do you remember about Bill Gaither? Oh, he was just a warm, encouraging guy. And I went to his house in Anderson, Indiana. Mm. And he he said, Joe, I'm coming to St. Paul, September 27th, uh, 1980. I want you to sing a song. I'm going to call you on stage. The place was packed, probably 14,000 people. And uh, he said, I want you to sing a song. And so we practiced, and I was so nervous. I, I couldn't get the right song. He said, well, we'll try this one. And it was the blood of will never lose his power by Andre Crouch. And he said, well, do this. And he called me up there and I did that song. And that was the only gospel song that I probably knew at that time. And then we had an encore. It was, it was just really an act of God. It was, it was something that uh, God had planned for me to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful that uh, I had that opportunity to meet Bill, just an incredible encourager you know, for young artists, people that are just starting out, you know, in the music ministry business. And uh, that was me in 1980. And uh, I just loved it. I went to see him a few years ago. And uh, just, just, just a great guy, Bill Gaither. Joe, who are other key people in your faith walk that you can uh, remember? Well, unfortunately... Uh, my faith walk uh, began as a freshman in college. Really? And the, and the people that were in my life prior to that, uh, my grandmother, was, mm. you know, the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous person, righteous grandmother has much power. And my grandmother prayed that I'd come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And that happened on the campus of New Mexico State as an 18-year-old freshman at the height of the Jesus Movement. I was just walking home from football practice, and uh, Ken Johnson, a kid that uh, who, who I met on campus, led me to the Lord through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm. And uh, he was a big influence or an, a big encourager. And then, uh, you know, there's some other people along the line who really stepped in at just a perfect time, who encouraged me, who uh, prayed for me, and who really were a good role model for me to walk in this new path. And I'm, I'm just, I mean, there's so many people. But uh, Ken Johnson started the ball rolling when he led me to the Lord in 1969. Joe, we've got some common threads here. I came to Christ in 1968, and the key piece was a young lady in a singing group who uh, handed me a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, and uh, <laughs> and, and that, was the, that was the key piece uh, in 1968. I remember February 22nd, 
Uh, wow. Quarter of four, wow. quarter of four in the afternoon, and that little booklet, I still have it. Um, yeah. That was uh, yeah. over 50 years ago. So we've got yeah. uh, we got some common threads here. Absolutely. Crusade was a big part of my life in terms of uh, evangelism and uh, going out to, to uh, San Bernardino, you know, to the uh, headquarters of Campus Crusade for Christ. And yeah, Ken Johnson just shared the four four spiritual laws. God loves you. Got a great plan for your life. <laughs> you know, as a chasm. <laughs> when this kid Ken Johnson said, uh, you know, I mentioned the word chasm. I, I thought he said my cash. I had never heard the word chasm before. <laughs> but like I said, I didn't know what chasm meant, but I did have a praying grandmother and parents too. Not only my grandparents, but my father and mother uh, prayed for me too. That. We, along with my other siblings, have come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is. Uh, Joe Jackson is our guest. <clears throat> the book Championship Sunday. How did you end up at New Mexico State, Joe? Well, that's another good question, Pat. I, I grew up in Cincinnati, and so my roots are in the Midwest. And my vision, my dream, was to play for Ohio State. I grew up in Cincinnati. 90 miles north, Columbus, Ohio. Never heard from Ohio State, heard from Michigan. There's from many Big Ten schools, but one of the main issues for me was that I had not taken the ACT test and wasn't prepared. So and New Mexico State called me, and they said, listen, come down to Las Cruces, New Mexico. We know your heart is set on the Midwest. Just give us a shot. You'll take the ACT test, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. So I went to... New Mexico, a plane ride. I said, wow, this is a great opportunity. Never been to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Never been hardly anywhere. So I flew down there. I took the ACT test right on the campus. And the coaches apparently, no, with this school, you know, with this poor score that you scored, this is the only college that will give you an athletic scholarship. And I said, oh, my goodness. You know, so I signed a letter of intent. At New Mexico State University, sent the grades home two weeks later. And what had happened, the coaches had told me that I only scored a 14. In actuality, I scored a 28. So I could have went anywhere in the United States, or rather any college. But basically, that's how I ended up at New Mexico State. But God had a plan, and who knows what would have happened if I would have went somewhere else. And God doesn't make mistakes. And uh, so I just accepted that as far as God's, God's will for my life. And now I just love Las Cruces. I love the Southwest. I'm living in Arizona. So it all worked out bad. How did your NFL career start? When did it start or what? How, well, how, did, how did it start? What happened? Well, that was my dream, to yes. play in the National Football League. So I wanted to be... Uh, uh, NFL player. There, there were several guys from my neighborhood who had an opportunity to play in the NFL, so I had those role models as well. So I was drafted by the Jets in 1972 and uh, played there. And in 76, I went with the Minnesota Vikings. My defensive line coach with the Jets, Buddy Ryan, uh, now took a position with the Minnesota Vikings. So he brought me with him. 
And it was a great opportunity for me. Got to play with a great defensive line. Eller, Page, Marshall, Matt Blair, Hilgenberg. I mean, mm. it, it was great to play with Namus, but it was really special for me to play with guys that I wanted to emulate, like Jim Marshall and Carl Eller and Alan Page. So I played defensive end, defensive tackle. So those are the guys that were were special to me. So uh, I played about eight years and then uh, my physical, and that was it. That career, that door was was closed, yet God had something else that was more special. So I thank God for the opportunity to play, to fulfill a dream, to live a dream. It, just, mm-hmm. it was just incredible. I wish I could go back. Joe, I'm always fascinated with leadership. I love to study coaches and uh, managers in baseball. Uh, who were the coaches that you played for in the NFL? And and does one stick out? Was there a leader that uh, left an imprint on you? Well, most of, most of the coaches I played for in the NFL were offensive-minded. Mm-hmm. But Grant was. Uh, Weep Eubank with the Jets, he was as well. Uh, you know, my line coaches, defensive line coach, Buddy Ryan, obviously he taught me some life lessons. He taught me, uh, you know, when you get knocked down, man, you get up. And he, he did that not so much by telling us that. He did that by ingraining that into our minds and hearts by doing a cardio drill called ups and downs. And I'm sure you know what ups and downs are. Mm-hmm. After practice, we would do about 100 ups and downs. Now, I would rather do stadium stairs, gashes, gassers, sprints, whatever, than ups and downs. But it really is a metaphor of life. You get knocked down. You get knocked over. But for goodness sakes, you can get up. And during those ups and downs, man, it was just after a two-and-a-half, three-hour practice. <laughs> you don't have much left in the tank. But yet I learned that life is not about about starting. It's about finishing strong. And you finish strong, you know, when you hold on to your dream, when you don't let circumstances circumvent your vision and your purpose in life. And I guess... Coach Ryan really spoke into my life, and uh, he was a great teacher, and um, not so much X's and O's, but he he just taught me that I could be somebody. He taught me that I could uh, have a chance to work towards greatness, and uh, so Coach Ryan. Although I did have some great offensive coaches like Coach Grant, as I stated, Weep Eubank. But for me, it was Coach Buddy Ryan. My guest is Joe Jackson. We're talking about his book, Championship Sunday, An Uncommon Pursuit of a Dream. Uh, My latest book is out, by the way. And so when you go up to... uh, Order Joe Jackson's book. Uh, go up to Amazon. Get Championship Sunday. Uh, my latest book is called Every Day is Game Day. And uh, mm. here, here's the story. It's a 365-page devotional. I did it with my friend uh, Mark Atterbury. 
each one of these days has a sports story, a sports anecdote, and then it leads into the devotional part of, of each day. So check it out. Every day is game day. We've got more with Joe Jackson right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990. And FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're so glad you're with us. And uh, we're glad that Joe Jackson is with us. We're talking with him about his book, Championship Sunday. Joe, so many questions and so little time, but I do have to ask you about your memories of Joe Namath in uh, New York. Oh, well, that was a thrill. It was an absolute honor and a privilege at that time to meet uh, Joe Willie Namath. And Buddy Ryan, again, had such an impact in my life. I, I just remember this so vividly. Uh, in 1972, Joe Namath held out he didn't come to training camp until he got his contract signed. He thought he, he needed more money. So I'm just walking into the dormitory after a morning practice and I meet Coach Ryan and just so happened Joe shows up uh at camp. You know, the strike is over and he shows up he reports at camp and Buddy Ryan says, Hey, Joe Namath, this is Joe Jackson. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to me there were cameras everywhere, photographers, reporters. And I just extended my right arm to shake his hand, and he had a dark pair of shades on and a good tan. <laughs> and he extended his arm to shake hand to shake to me. And we met each other, and someone took a picture. And that picture was in almost every newspaper in America, if not parts of, uh, of the world. And the caption on it, it says, Joe wants dough. <laughs> Joe wants dough. My father saw that, and he said, son, don't worry about money. Just try to make the team. It's only a 40-man roster. And I said, Dad, read the whole story. It's not talking about me. It's talking about Joe Namath. You know, <laughs> I was happy making $22,000. <laughs> money was not an issue for me. I just wanted to fulfill a dream. So Joe has been a great friend. I mean, there's so, I guess there's some misconceptions about Joe Namath and, you know, rightly so he made some poor choices, but, uh, he is a great guy. He's done the forward in my book. Uh, I preached in Jupiter, Florida, where he lives at. I called him. He came to the service. Really? He gave a strong testimony about what God's done in his life. And he he is just he's he's just a great friend. At his age now, is probably more popular than he's been ever. And it's just incredible to see what God has done in his life and to see the steps that he has made. So Joe Namath continues to be a good friend, and uh, I love the guy. Tell me this, uh, Joe. Why do you think it's so difficult? Uh, for so many Christians to share their faith with others and uh, help lead them to the Lord. Why, why are we so terrified of doing that? Well, 
in one sense, Pat, I think you know we're we're more open. Uh, we're we're more upfront. I mean, when I was playing in the NFL, um, you didn't see a lot of visibility of Christians. You know, now I kind of know who the Christians are mm-hmm. in baseball, basketball, and football. Mm-hmm. Reggie White, Reggie White started something. He and Daryl Green were instrumental in bringing the teams together after a football game where they get into a huddle on the field after the game. Of course, the media won't show very much of it if they do. So well, they move away from it very quickly. But I think it's the media uh, that, that determines what's important, what's going to be shown, what's going to be, um, you know, what's going to be covered. I found athletes today with a boldness. I work with a ministry called Athletes International Ministry, and we have had over 12,000 professional and college athletes attend our conference and coaches as well. And I get the feeling that that, that we're more vocal, we're more bold, and um, you know, I, I think we need to be. And at the same time, you know, Christians need to really stand up and live out the creed, live out what they believe. And I think that's that's the gap there. You know, it's one thing to speak it. It's another thing to live it. Mm. And what I try to do with this ministry, Athletes International Ministries, is to encourage these guys to let God use them and their platform and to lift up a light in a dark world. And that's all Jesus did. So basically, that's the message, that's the heartbeat, that's what I want to get not only to athletes, but to anyone. The Bible says, as you go, preach the word. So I guess on one sense, especially, you know, when you look at things that are happening in the world today, you know, where is the church? Where's Where is the voice? Not so much reason, but a righteousness. Where is that voice? You know, you see... A guy who wants to start a race war, you go into a supermarket and you kill ten black people because mm. you know, because you know, because you know, where is the church at? You know, where's the voice? Why are these things happening? Well, they happen because people have choices. They happen because there's evil in the world. And I, I think that Christians you know, when you hear something like that, I, I just get more more vocal. I get more um committed. To knowing that Christ can change a life, mm. Christ, Christ can change a heart, and 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 make a person become new in Him. So, once part it's discouraging, but yet I know what the Lord could do, what He's done in my life, what He's done in your life, what He's done in St. Paul's life, and so. I, I don't know if I answered your question, but um, yes, you I have. Think we can always. I think we can always do more. I think we can always lift up lift up that light in this dark world that we live in. Because it's not going to get any brighter unless we as believers lift it up. It's not going to come through politics. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come even through religion. It's going to come through dynamic relationship that you've experienced in 1968 and Christ changed your life through the four spiritual laws. Mm. And you know that was real. So we know it can happen, and it does happen. 
Joe, if you could have lunch today with any personality from the New Testament, uh, who who would you want to lunch with today? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Did you say the New Testament? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aside from Jesus, I mean, that would be your first yeah, choice, I'm sure. Right, right, right. Who, who else would you enjoy uh, having lunch, and what would you want to talk about? Well, I just like to talk to, I, I would have a, a great time talking to Peter. Mm, mm, he's mm. so much, he's so much like me, you know, he, what do you mean? He stands up and then he sits down, <laughs> you know, he, he, um, he's confronted by Paul. He's confronted by different people, you know, and you're with this group. And then when this group comes in, you shy away, you know, you don't stand. And, and, and these are things that, I've learned over my Christian life that that you have to be committed. You know, you, you just can't have a name and think and think that's it. You know, name, game, and fame is great, but it's going to be commitment, and it's got to come from the heart. So Peter had struggles, but yet he overcame them, and he was a great apostle, and and he was a martyr. And so I, I would I would love uh, to hear his story. I would love to hear his heartbeat, and I would love I believe to be encouraged by Peter. Well, that's a great story. That's a great story. Well, folks, my guest has been Joe Jackson, former NFL player, author of Championship Sunday: An Uncommon Pursuit of a Dream. Uh, I do want to remind you that we are still working hard at trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. Orlando is now the 17th largest media market in North America and ready to become a Major League Baseball city. So go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and just check in. Uh, Just say, good idea. I'd like to be part of this. I'm all for this. Uh, If this works, uh, I'd like to be a season ticket holder perhaps. OrlandoDreamers.com. We've got more after this. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Our guest in that first segment was former NFL player Joe Jackson. We talked about his book, Championship Sunday. Uh, I'm I'm so pleased that uh, Dr. Stephen Iacoboni is with us. He's in Eastern Oregon, uh, Community Hospital Cancer Center Director. His book is called Telos. The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. Uh, Doc, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us here in Orlando, and I hope things are well with you. It's great to join you, Pat. Yes, things are great here. We're finally getting out of uh, the winter and looking forward to spring and summer. Now help me, so I I pronounce it right uh, properly. T-E-L-O-S is pronounced how? Telos. Good. And what does that mean? It's an it's a word from ancient Greek, which is actually still used by scientists today. The word was coined or invented by none other than Aristotle, 
who we many of us believe to be the greatest intellectual of all time, certainly in his era, and it means that the things that occur in the world occur uh, as they were intended. In other words, things happen for a purpose. And uh, he uh, spent his time wandering around, you know, with his robe, uh, talking to people, thinking about things. And what occurred to him was that even though there are things in the world that we don't consider perfect, he looked around the world and said, everything that I see around me, from caterpillars to trees to babies to um, the seasons, all seems to happen for a purpose. So telos means uh, the final cause as it was intended. And this is significant because this was 400 years before Jesus Christ came to came down from heaven, and so he was working on um, a, a monotheism in a time when, when everyone else was believing in all the different Greek gods and the polytheism of ancient Greece. Part one of your book, Doctor, is uh, Modern Science and Its Manipulations. What does that mean? What's that about? Well, the main theme of my book is that um, at the last 100 years, scientists have decided to leave uh, their, their, the, the place where they are would need to stay, which is in the world of observation and empirical theory, and they have taken over um, the world of philosophy and theology. They have literally gone so far as to proclaim rather explicitly and boldly that based on empirical evidence, they have proven that the God of Abraham does not exist. Now, that's not something you can demonstrate in a test tube, and yet that is exactly what you will read in, in, um, in the books that they write. It's, it's out there, and it is what they're teaching uh, in the colleges, universities, and medical schools. That's what I was taught 40 years ago, and it's wrong. Uh, I was taught that by my professors, and I believed it, and I finally figured out they must be wrong. And so the rest of the book, the second half of the book, is is to create, uh, to understand how science actually proves the existence of God. So um, they're wrong, and they are taking our society down a terrible dark path, and I wrote the book because something needs to be done about what they're doing. And part two is modern science recaptured. Why don't we just jump to that and explain what those three words mean? Well, so, like I said, in the first part of the book, we talk about the history of science and how it was trying to understand the world. And uh, up until 100 years ago, everyone understood that the natural world was governed by a supreme being. Uh, I don't identify the supreme being very often in the book, although I'm a Christian and I refer to Jesus Christ on several occasions in the book. But the, it's not a theology book. It's a philosophy and science book about God himself um, and the God of Abraham, which includes Allah, Yahweh, Adonai, and, of course, the Christian God. Um, and uh, and it points out where scientists went off course, starting with Charles Darwin in the late 19th century, and then throughout the 20th century, uh, with the discovery of 
the DNA double helix, the scientists got up on their platforms and said, we're the smart people, and we've shown in a test tube that your God doesn't exist, which is a lie. It's wrong. It's falsifiable. It's demonstrably false. But, you know, my, my feeling is you can't just say someone's wrong and then, and then end the conversation. So the second part of the book, having made the case that they're wrong, is to say, how can you, we take the science that we know, because I'm a scientist, I know everything they know, um, and take it and say, what does this really mean? And so the second part of the book shows you how science leads straight to God in science. And so that's um, the second part of the book, modern science recaptured, uh, taking the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge and putting it back on the tree, as opposed to taking it off of the tree, committing original sin, and separating man from God. Dr. Stephen Iacoboni is our guest. His book, Telos, The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. Uh, back in the first part of the book, you, you do a section, there's several sections. Uh, what Descartes has said, what Newton did, what Darwin decided, and then you do a chapter, Darwin versus Newton. Uh, fill us in on that, uh, Stephen. So uh, the book traces the history of science in the Western world, and to be honest, um, modern science originated in the Western world. Um, the nation of Islam was neck and neck with um, uh, Western Europe, in fact, ahead of us, uh, through uh, the first millennia, uh, and they actually con- uh, conquered Constantinople. But the Ottoman Empire decided later that they wanted to leave things the way they were, and so Western Europe was able to catch up. And so the great icons of Western science are Isaac Newton, who is the, the guy who described gravity, you know, the apple falling from the tree. And he is considered the father of modern science and the greatest scientist of all time. Uh, and then uh, he was preceded by a philosopher called René Descartes, who uh, set the stage for how to think about the natural world in scientific terms. And then they were fought. And the problem was is that they made a crucial error. And I don't blame them because it was 400 years ago and they didn't know what we know now. But they made a crucial error. And it was unintentional because both of those two scientists believed in God. And they actually said there's certain things we can't explain scientifically, but we will try and explain apples falling from trees and water falling from a waterfall, but we can't explain life or the soul. But then later, the scientists started studying life, uh, and Darwin came along, and he changed everything, and um, uh, created this conflict between science, the science of the atheists, starting with Darwin, and the science of the uh, Christians, which was Newton and Descartes. Uh, And this was a big problem, and it got resolved sort of... um, under the table, but the thing is, when these things get resolved, you know, there are, there are, there are problems left behind. A really good common day example was we thought the Soviet Union was over uh, in 1989. Now, you know, there's that peace that we had with the breakup of the Union, Soviet Union is now threatened by Russia acting up again. So whenever there's discord that is resolved, sometimes the discord reemerges. And scientists had to sort of cover that up, uh, which they did, uh, and then they used that lie, that cover-up, to advance their agenda, which was to get rid of 
uh, Christian faith in the Western world. And if you can look around, you can see they're doing a pretty good job of it. And it has to stop or else we're all really going to suffer even more than we're suffering now. My guest is Dr. Stephen Iacoboni. Uh, we're talking about his book, Telos. Um, now, uh, here's some other interesting names. Watson and Crick, the Cold War Armistice. Uh, fill us in on that, Steve. So um, Watson and Crick are pretty famous. Their names are almost as famous as Einstein among non-scientists. Watson and Crick are the two scientists who, in the early 50s, determined the structure of DNA, the double helix. Um, and this was momentous in the argument of science and faith because up until um, the middle of the 20th century, uh, science could, could pretty well describe how to uh, explain uh, phenomena that were non-living, like making a cannon uh, shoot 20 miles into the target or that sort of thing. But in terms of explaining life, Life was considered, again, something that was inexplicable by science, and um, and that was where God was sort of left untouched, uh, and the theologians left him alone. Now, Darwin, of course, came along, and he is the father of modern biology, and he said, no, God isn't even in biology anymore. But there were doubts, because Darwin's theory has a lot of flaws, and it wasn't until Watson and Crick showed that the DNA in our bodies is a molecule that behaves according to the laws of chemistry and physics. It was then that they said, okay, now life itself is determined by the laws of chemistry and physics. Well, what does this mean? It means that we don't need a supreme intelligence to explain life because we can explain it with our puny little human brains. And so this was what I said about the conflict between Newton and um, and um, uh, Darwin, uh, there was a problem between their two theories. And so Watson and Crick uh, fashioned the armistice between those, between the science of physics, which was Newton, and the science of Darwin, which was biology, and united them with the, with the biology, the, mole- the mo- molecular science of DNA. And from then on, from the 50s on, uh, the scientists have been piling on to this idea that human beings are nothing more than complicated chemical machines that are totally describable in the language of science and physics, and there's no need for a supreme intelligence, a god, to um, to explain what goes on around us. And if you don't, in science, the idea is if you don't need an explanation, you don't use it. Um, and so that's what Watson and Crick did. It's it's important to know. I have actually worked with James Watson uh, a few years ago. He was still in his 80s and still going. His partner, Francis Crick, was a, was a vehement, devoted scientific atheist, mm. wrote a bunch of books about how um, our life on Earth is just one big molecular scramble and has no great meaning. It's kind of hard to read his stuff, but you have to read it if you want to understand how these people are thinking. My guest... <clears throat> In Eastern Oregon, Stephen Iacoboni. Now, now we've got about two minutes before the break, but I'm going to give you these names and and uh, just give us an overview, Stephen. Manad, Carl Wos, 
Franklin Harold, Robert Rosen. Uh, why are they in your book? What are they, What's that about? So Jacques Minot uh, played a key role in advancing uh, the, the movement of scientific atheism because he won a Nobel Prize in 1969, and he was considered the leading molecular biologist or biochemist in the world. And he took the work of Watson and Crick about the chemistry of life, and he thought that he demonstrated he explained everything we need to know about the working of the cell in terms of chemicals. And on that basis, he wrote in his book, which was a bestseller, that he has shown scientifically and without any doubt that the God of Abraham does not exist. And um, once he made that big breakthrough, along with the writing of Francis Crick, of Watson and Crick fame, then it was off to the races with all the other scientific atheists. Uh, and so he is the other father of modern scientific atheism. The other names that um, that you mentioned are people who, in the last 10 to 20 years, have looked at what the atheists have said, and they said, now hold on a minute. Uh, are you completely sure of this? Because this is like the greatest proclamation in the history of, of, of philosophy. God is dead. Uh, and so I, uh, these were people whose writing influenced me because I was I bought into the scientific atheism. I was young, impressionable, ambitious, wanted to be a, a famous scientist. I worked at MD Anderson, the most famous cancer center in the world, and it's expected that you were a scientific atheist. And so I was bought into that. Uh, and then later on, these other authors came along and explained where the error was, and then I took what they wrote and took it a step further, which is the second half of the book. Dr. Stephen Iacoboni is our guest. We've got more with Stephen. Stay with us here. We're talking about his book, Talos, The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. I'm Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest is uh, Dr. Stephen Iacoboni. Uh, We're talking about his book, Telos, The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. Stephen, I want to spend the rest of the uh, uh, show that we have here in your second part, Modern Science Recaptured. And... uh, here, here, are the, here are the challenges, the original origin, how organisms evolved, the preliminaries, the magic of molecules, alphabet soup, structure versus function. What's going on here? What are you, what are you teaching us? Well, one of the things I wanted to do in my book was not say anything that can't be backed by modern science. In other words, I'm a scientist. And so I didn't write a book about what the Bible says, because I'm not a theologian. And I didn't make things up uh, to fit my narrative. I took hardcore science and showed that it points to God. And that's, I'm a scientist. I'm devoted to science. That My problem is, is that the other scientists are misinterpreting it, misleading it for their own purposes, which I think are not good. So... Um, the second half of the book requires a certain amount of effort on the part of the reader, but 
if you read it, you will come away with an understanding you can't get anywhere else. And that's why I think it's important because we just spent the last two years listening to scientists tell us um, how to behave during uh, a once in a millennia, once in a century pandemic, and everyone was confused. I think that I think the people in charge did their very best to help us through, but but um, uh, no one really knew exactly what was going on, whether lockdowns would work, and so on. Um, I know for a fact that the vaccine only occurred, happened because. Uh, some scientists who said it couldn't be done uh, were overridden, and the vaccine was made in nine months instead of two years because people challenged certain scientific concepts. And I think the vaccine uh, has been extremely important to save my life um, because I, I'm 70 and I've worked with COVID patients all the time. I got COVID, I had a mild case, and I haven't had any further symptoms. Anyway, um, if you take real science, and you follow it to its logical conclusion, you see that uh, every creature around you, if you look, you have a dog or a cat. Most people don't think about this. But if you look at your, your dogs and your cats, they don't have shoes. Well, if you look at their feet, they have leather padding, as if God had made a moccasin for them. Uh, and um, uh, animals that... that Hunt by smell, can smell things that you can't, and birds, which can't hear anything because it's windy up there. They don't have ears. They have ears, but they're tiny. Uh, they can't smell anything, but they have the best eyesight. So they are perfectly designed for their environment. Um, I'll use an example that, um, that really I think no one could disagree with. Anyone who has cracked an egg to make an omelet or a fried egg opens up the egg and they see yolk and white goo. Well, that's fine. It's an egg, right? Well, it turns out that if you didn't crack that egg and it was fertilized and you incubated it, that goo with no outside instruction whatsoever would turn into a chicken. And I'm not talking, and you have to understand that chicken has claws and feet and kidneys and a heart and a brain and a beak and wings and everything has to be assembled together and a fully formed chicken is like 10,000 times more complicated than the most complicated computer in the world. And yet this goo and this yolk turns into a chicken. It's, it's a miracle before your eyes. And anyone who's been blessed to have children, as I have, sees your, your, love, your beloved wife uh, carry the baby and out comes a human being. This is... This is still a miracle, like it has always been a miracle. And the science describes what goes on, but it doesn't say how or why. The how or why is the driving force of telos. I, in my second half of the book, I assert something no one else has ever asserted, that it is a force of nature, which is invisible. And I call it telos because that's what Aristotle called it. It's not my invention, it's his. And everything is drawn to its logical conclusion um, so that life can exist on Earth. And you just go through endless examples of how that's true, and you see that it's undeniable that there is an attractive force that drives every living thing towards purpose. One of the things that people get confused about is, this is well, I can't see it. And my answer is, that's because it's a force of attraction. Forces of attraction are invisible. Take magnetism. You can't see the magnetic waves, but it, we know magnets work. 
a gravity. You can't see gravity, but you know, from dunking a basketball, if you're like me, five foot eight and two hundred pounds, you're not going to get off the ground high enough to dunk the basketball. <laughs> so the ball up in the air always comes down. Telos is a force of attraction, not a force of propulsion. We can see the baseball bat propelling the ball over the fence, but we can't see telos, but it's real. You look around you everywhere and you see this powerful force of attraction, which we I call telos. Uh, furthermore, in that second part, Stephen, uh, emergence, the genesis of life, telos in action, the arrival of the fittest, the predetermined design of emergence. Uh, let's close this segment with your thoughts on what I just shared there. So I spent a lot of time and effort working out these series, and a lot of that are taken from very smart people, but I also came up with my own insights, I believe. And it, here's how to think of it. The scientific atheism is based on one simple principle, which is that what they see going on in the world is based on random events. So that um, uh, the molecules in your body are just squiggling around and they randomly do things. And if something is random, then it can't be intentional. And that uh, sometime five billion years ago, a bunch of molecules randomly got together and made life. Now, no one's been able to show that, and no one really can, can understand how that could possibly happen. But that's what they say, that the reason for human beings not being chimpanzees is that there was a random mutation 10 million years ago, and the first Homo sapiens was born, and now here we are. The other point, way of looking at that is, no, what goes on on the planet Earth in our lives is not random. It is designed and directed to, a, to an end, so that when you get up in the morning, you don't walk out the door in your pajamas. You say, I've got to brush my teeth, shave, take a shower, and put my clothes on before I leave the house, because you understand what it takes to be properly dressed for the day's work. Um, and there is a concept that is, most people aren't aware of. It's called emergence. And what it says is that when you take a bunch of molecules and throw them together, they will always uh, form the same predetermined structure, whether it's DNA or protein or hemoglobin or the hair on your head. And this is proof that the world was put together by God so that these events would occur and that human beings would uh, come into existence throughout the course of life's history. It's, we are not accidents. We are intended. And so it all boils down to, are we here by accident, and there was no God who intended us, and we just have to fight wars and be uh, upset with each other all the time? Or did God put us here, and the science proves that he did, and therefore we have to understand that our lives have purpose, we are here to serve our fellow man, and to love our fellow man, follow the Ten Commandments, because science shows that everything that happens is purposeful. And I challenge any listener or reader to look around the world and see things that aren't purposeful. You know, caterpillars turn into butterflies, and butterflies remember what the caterpillar experienced when it was a caterpillar. How does that happen? Salmon, which are three inches long, leave the mouth of the Columbia River here in Portland. They swim all the way to Tokyo, 
and back, it's 6,000, 10,000 miles with perfect navigation. How does that happen? Purpose is everywhere, and it's a scientific fact. Our lives are purposeful. They were intended by God, and science proves it. Well, folks, our guest has been Dr. Stephen Iacoboni, and boy, he has filled us in beautifully. Uh, the book, Telos, The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. Well, we're so glad you joined us for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do have a wrap-up uh, right after these messages here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. In Orlando. We're so pleased when you join us, and uh, we'll be back for the wrap up right after this. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. On the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, In that first segment, uh, Joe Jackson joined us, former NFL player, author of Championship Sunday, An Uncommon Pursuit of a Dream. And then uh, Dr. Stephen Iacoboni uh, talking about his book, Telos, The Scientific Basis for a Life of Purpose. Well, I'm glad that you all are living a life of purpose. And when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you, you have a plan for your life. You have purpose. Uh, you have a reason for living to, with great joy. So uh, if you've never made that decision to accept Christ, uh, make sure you do that and let us know about it. We'll be back, be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990. You know that. And FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com salemnow.com